Okay, so our message tonight out of the book of Ezekiel, chapter 3, Sitting Before Speaking. Very interesting chapter. Uh, starting verse 1, he said, Son of man, eat this scroll and go speak to the house of Israel. I opened my mouth and he caused me to eat that scroll. It was in my mouth like honey, in sweetness, and he said, Son of man, go to the house of Israel and speak my words to them. So, in, before we go speak, so he's commanding Ezekiel to go to the house of Israel and speak to them, but we're going to notice several things that need to take place before he goes and speaks to them. And the same with us, God calls us to go and speak his word, but there are several steps before we go and speak his word. So first he tells him to open his mouth and to eat of the scroll. We need to eat of God's word. We need to ingest it into our lives. We need to take it into ourselves, not just reading it like you read an encyclopedia or something like that or a magazine, but taking it in, absorbing it in internally and receiving it in, in the sweetness that it is in the word of God. Then he continues in verse 10, and he said to me, Son of man, receive into your heart all my words that I speak to you, and hear with your ears. Go get to the captives, to the children of your people, and speak to them and tell them, thus says the Lord God, whether they hear or whether they refuse. All right, so again, several more steps here. Not just taking and eating it, but taking it into our hearts, and not just into our belly, but into our heart, that we not only ingest it, but that we love the word of God, we love the scroll of God, we love God, and that we hear it as well, that we personalize, we hear the voice of God, that we sense his spirit, that we know his direction, that we know his voice, as opposed to the Satan's voice or any other voices, our own voice, but that we hear his voice speaking to us, directing us, and that needs to be based on first the reading and eating and taking into our heart to scroll the word of God. And then he says, go and speak to them whether they will hear or whether they refuse. Right? Sometimes we will try and determine in our own mind whether or not that person wants to hear it or not. And, and we might not share it when God's calling us to share it because we're afraid or think, well, they're going to refuse it anyway or they don't need it. And then we just hold back. And so then we, we just share it with other people who already believe like we do. And then basically we're just talking to a mirror. Right? We're just talking to ourselves. And, and that doesn't, that's not what God's called us to do. He's called us to share it. And uh, then it's up to them whether they receive it or not. But again, to help make sure they are able to receive it, we need to do the proper steps of first eating the Word of God, loving the Word of God, hearing the Word of God. And then we're not done yet. The Spirit lifted me up. God's Spirit lifts us up. He doesn't knock us down. God's Spirit lifts us up. The Spirit lifted me up, and I heard behind me a great thunderous voice Blessed is the glory of the Lord from this place. We then need to see. So we're eating, we're hearing, we're seeing. Kind of like the half dollar service. It's all our senses. We need to see God. We need to see him and not just see him, but we need to see him lifted up. We need to see him in all of his glory. We need to see the goodness of God in our own lives. 
We need to see him in, 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 the, in the history of this earth. We need to see him in the history of the universe. We need to see him in the, in the lives of other people. We need to see the glory of God manifested in his creation, in his creatures, in his work, in his mercy, in his love, in his goodness, the glory of the Lord. And so Ezekiel is lifted up and we need to be lifted up. And as we read the word of God and take it into our heart and mind, our spirit will be lifted up. We'll be encouraged, we'll be strengthened, we'll be empowered, and we'll draw closer to God in love, and we will start to receive his attributes of mercy and love and forgiveness, and we'll be lifted up. We will see him in all of his glory. When Moses was up on the mountain, he said, let me see your glory. And God put him into a cleft of the rock and passed by and put his hand over him, and, and the Lord proclaimed, the Lord God, merciful, loving, long-suffering, forgiving, and yet no wise uh, sparing the guilty. The balance of God with his love and his mercy and his glory and his goodness. Be it also a God of judgment for those that refuse. And we need to see God in all those attributes. And again, the majority of them are this mercy and love and forgiveness and kindness and long-suffering. And so we need to see God in that glory and receive that glory into our hearts and minds and allow God to manifest that through us. God's spirit dwelling in us. And then verse 13, I also heard the noise of the wings of the living creatures that touched one another and the noise of the wheels beside them and a great thunderous noise. And so the spirit lifted me up and took me away and I went in bitterness in the heat of my spirit, but the hand of the Lord was strong upon me. And so Ezekiel, again, as we read in chapters 1, chapters 2, he gets this, this vision and he sees the wheel within a wheel and, and the angels and God's throne uh, moving and God on the, on, on the move and God in action and, and all of his angelic beings working around him and the, and the massive uh, the workings of God and the power of God. And so he sees him lifted up and Ezekiel is lifted up as well. And we're getting to see God in his majesty, in his rulership, in his lordship, in his intricate and diverse ways that he works and throughout the world and throughout the universe, be lifted up in mind and heart to his glory. And so Ezekiel is taken, and as he's taken away, and he's taken, and we'll see in the next verse, he's taken to the children of Israel. As he's being taken away, he says, I went up in bitterness in the heat of the spirit, but the hand of the Lord was upon me. Right, so he's eaten the scroll. He's been given the message that he needs to give to the people, which in this case is one of warning and, and uh, warning for, of judgment for their sins. And so as he sees God in all his glory and he sees the, the sins of the people, he, he's filled with bitterness, that same bitter Mar, like marar from the, the, the Passover, the marar that we eat, the bitter herb that we eat. Just got bitterness in his soul. It just, just hurts him inside. After seeing God's glory and seeing the sins of this world. And so he's anger. He has anger. He, in the heat of his spirit, he's just upset about this. And when we see things going on in the world, it should touch us. It should hurt us. It should trigger in us some kind of emotion. When we see the atrocities going on in the world, it's so easy for us to just think, well, that's happening over there. That's another country. That's another area. That's another neighborhood. That's another state. That's another 
across town. That's across the street. Not my problem. But what affects others affects God. And that should affect us as well. When we see him in his glory, and so he's burdened over that, and when we see these things going on, there's horrible things going on in the world, absolute atrocities that are taking place. It should pain us, and we should be moved to want to do something, to act in some way, shape, or form. And so he's moved with bitterness and heat, and he's just ready to just charge out. But before he's able to go give the word of God, verse 15, And I came to the captives at Tel Abab, who dwelt by the river Chabad, Chabar, and I sat where they sat and remained there astonished among them seven days. It's so easy to read the word of God and to see other people's sins in relation to that. And get so upset and be ready to just condemn them and hit them and yell at them and rebuke them. But God has him come and sit among them. Not say a word. Seven days. Sit where they sit. Before we go and share God's word, we need to understand what other people have been through. We need to come close to them. We need to walk in their shoes, as it says. Understand what they're going through. Understand a little bit of what they've been through, what has led them to this point. Why they think the way they think. That doesn't necessarily justify it or excuse it, but it helps us to understand and to be able to relate. Paul says he, became all, he becomes all things to all people that he might win some. To the Jew, he becomes a Jew. Now, that's interesting because Paul was already a Jew. But he says, became a Jew to reach the Jews. He became that, like that type of Jew. And to the Greek, to, the, to the, reach the Greek. Become all things to all people. Be able to relate. That's exactly what God did. Emmanuel. God with us. He will be called Emmanuel because God came and tabernacled with us. When God told Moses to build the sanctuary, to build the temple, to build the tabernacle, he says, so that I might dwell among you. God comes to dwell among us. And he came, and he came in the flesh. And he took on our flesh. He divested himself of his divinity. He set aside his divinity. And he took on our humanity. He lowered himself lower than the angels, though not robbery to be equal with God. He lowered himself lower than the angels and became flesh. And not just flesh, but lower than that even. To be accursed. To die the death of the accursed. Lowered himself. Not to be born with a golden spoon in his mouth and sitting on a throne somewhere, but to be born in a stinking stable. He lowered himself, taking not on the nature of Adam before the fall, but taking on the nature of Abraham, the seed of Abraham, taking on the nature of David, of the line of David. Mashiach ben David, the son of David. 
took us in our frailties to be tempted just as we are, tempted in all ways like as we are. It's not temptation if it's impossible to, for him to sin. It wouldn't be temptation if in his divinity he just was able to refuse it. That's not temptation. But he was tempted in all ways, just as we are. Because he took on humanity, and he could have yielded, he could have sinned. But thank God he did not. He was touched with the feelings of our infirmities. He became one with us so that he could know us, so that he could know our sufferings, he could know our hurt, he could know our pains, to know what it's like to be rejected, to know what it's like to be misunderstood, to know what it's like to feel emotional and physical pain, to be socially separated, to know what it's like to have joys, to know what it's like to have love, to know what it's like to, to experience happiness, as well as disappointment and sadness and grief, to know what it's like to cry and to hurt inside. He became one with us, oh, the love of God. He knows what it's like to face the devil. He knows what it's like to face temptation. He knows what it's like to struggle against the nature. Lord, not my will, but your will be done. He knows what it's like to struggle in prayer until victory is gained. He knows what it's like to struggle against the flesh and the internal desire. And in the power of the Lord to resist it and to gain the victory. And then he took on our sins. And thus he felt what, it like, what it's like to feel guilt. What it's like to feel the frown of God the disappointment of God upon the sinner. He knows what it's like to feel separated from the Father. He felt our pain. He became one with us. And in order to minister for God in this earth, we need to become one with God. And experience his heart, experience his mind. Let this mind be in us that was in Yeshua the Messiah. And in doing so, come close to those who God has called us to minister to. Not to become one with them, not to become like them. But to understand them. To know them. To feel their pain and to sit among them. Good for us as believers to look for opportunities to be around people who aren't just like us so that we can minister to them, so that we can help them, so that we can show the love of God to them. People at work, people at school, people in our neighborhood. Or if you have a hobby or if you have an interest to join some kind of club or, or interact in some way, shape, or form with people. It's so easy to sit behind a computer or, or behind a little phone and just tweet things out and send things out and shout things out. But it's another thing to get to know people. He sat with them for seven days. 
And in most cases, it'll take longer than that for us. But he sat among people he basically knew, children of Israel. And he sat astonished among them. And we have the heart of God. We want to get to know them. Again, not to copy their sins, but to uplift them and lift them up as Ezekiel was lifted up. That they can see the glory of the Lord as well. Glory of the Lord shone off Moses' face when he came off the mountain. And as we spend time with God on a daily basis, the glory of the Lord can shine off of us as well. So they can see him living in us. That's what God has called all of us to. Every single one of us. That's why you're alive. If you ever wondered why you're alive, it's to show the glory of God to others. That's our purpose. Now God manifests that in different ways. God uses us in different ways from other people, from each other. But the basic premise is God has kept us alive after we come to know him and love him so that he can use us. So that he can Emmanuel again so that God can be with us again in us, shining through us. Verse 16, it came to pass at the end of the seven days that the word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, I have made you a watchman for the house of Israel. Therefore, hear a word from my mouth and give them a warning from me. It's interesting, he calls you, I've made you a watchman. He didn't say, I've made you an executioner. He didn't say, I've made you a judge. He didn't say, I've made you a condemner. I've made you a watchman. What is the purpose of a watchman? Watchmen stood on the wall between the people and the enemy, on the lookout for the enemy coming. And as the enemy is coming, he turns and he shouts and he blows the warning, sounds the alarm. The enemy is coming. The enemy is upon us. Shut the gates. Prepare for battle. Put on the armor. Put on the breastplate. Take forth the shield. Put on the, your shoes. Get your sword. And prepare for battle. Put on the helmet. And prepare for battle. We need to be wearing the word of God. We need to have God's faith. We need to have the gospel lived out in us and through us. We need to be prepared in every way, shape, or form with God's salvation upon us and prepared for battle, prepared for the enemy because the devil is going around as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And we wrestle not against flesh and blood. The people are not the enemy. The devil is the enemy. We need to remember that. It's so a word to warn as watchmen Not as judges and condemners. God came into this world, Yeshua came, not to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved. He comes as our salvation. He comes to warn us regarding the lies and the tricks of the enemy. And so before we go and give the warning as watchmen, we need to follow the steps outlined here for Ezekiel. We need to eat the word of God, ingest it, love it, take it into our hearts, 
hear it, receive it, embody it, open our eyes and see the glory of God, and sit among the people before we uttered a word, and have an attitude of a watchman to save the people, to spare the people. That doesn't come naturally. To go through those steps is not a natural process. We need to have God change us. We need to have God transform us. We need to confess our nature. We need to confess our carnalness. We need to confess our selfishness. Be real with God. I really don't care about these other people. I really don't even like these other people. They're not like me or they're not like you. And give that over to God. And to read God's word with the spirit, with prayer. Lord, take this inside me. Help me to not only understand it, but to experience it. Fill me with your spirit. Fill me with a love for you. Fill me with a love for your word. It's not natural to love God's word. You know, we can love reading lots of things. We can love watching lots of things. We can love listening to lots of things. That's part of our nature. But to love reading the word of God doesn't come naturally. Spiritual things are spiritually discerned. And so we need to even pray, God, give me a love for your word. Give me a love for you. To see God in his glory, it doesn't come naturally. We're born with an enmity against God. We're born with a nature that hates God. We're born with a nature that's resistant to God. So to see God in his glory doesn't come naturally. That needs to be miraculously given to us. And so we need to pray, Lord, let me see you as Moses prayed. Let me see you in your glory. We need to be hidden away in him. With our shoes off in full humility before God. Surrendering pride, surrendering selfishness, confessing it, accepting the Messiah's death to cleanse it away and wash it away, and to take on his nature. It's a miracle of God. He who knew no sin became sin, that we who knew no righteousness might become the righteousness of God in him. He who knew no sin, perfect in all his ways, became sin, lowered himself, came and sat among us, astonished, and took on our nature, and took on our sins. That we who know no righteousness, full of sin, no good in us, might become, what a trade, that we might become the righteousness of God. He takes us and our garbage and he gives us his glory. What an amazing trade he offers to us. And as we receive that trade, and then we'll have a burden for other souls, and we'll sit among them to be able to minister to them and to reach them with the love of God. Not condemning, not a holier than thou, not a putting down, but a lifting up. We'll go forth to warn them as watchmen. Help save the house of Israel. Verse 18, and when you say to the wicked, you shall surely die, and you give him no warning, nor speak to warn the wicked from his wicked way, to save his life, 
that same wicked man shall die in his iniquity, but his blood I will require at your hand. Right? So God has called us to warn the wicked. And if the wicked don't repent, they will die in their sins. That's what it says. When it's talking they're dying, it's talking about eternal death, dying. Not just dying to this flesh, but dying, being dead, dead. <laughs> Not receiving everlasting life. When you give him no warning, then we will be held accountable as well. Not only will they die in their sins, but if we don't give them a warning, when God has placed us in a position, in a place, with a heart to minister to them, we will be held accountable as well. A watchman standing on the wall, and he sees the enemy coming, and he doesn't warn the people, and they come bashing through the gates the watchman would be held accountable. The watchman's sitting up on the wall and he takes a nap and he's sleeping when he's supposed to be guarding and the enemy comes through, he would be held accountable, wouldn't he? Any company that hired a, watch, a night watchman, a night guard, and the place gets robbed because he's sleeping or on a break and he goes somewhere, or he's on his phone and he misses it, wouldn't he get fired? He certainly would be held accountable, and we will be held accountable as well. That makes sense, right? Warn the wicked to save him from his wicked ways, to save his life. That's the purpose for warning him. Now, if we're just going and we're just, again, putting people down just to show them they're wrong, and not with a care for, to save their life. Well, then our motive is wrong. Then we're just legalists. We're just condemning others because we're miserable and we want them to be miserable as well. And we don't have the love of God and we're just trying to follow God's word in our own works, in our own strength. We'll be miserable and we'll be condemning everybody. And we'll be letting everybody know how wrong they are and how bad they are. But that's not to save them. That's just to condemn them. But when we're filled with God's spirit, we'll have his love. And our burden will be to save them and to help them and to watch them and to protect them from the enemy. And the message will go forth. Verse 19, yet if you warn the wicked and he does not turn from his wickedness nor from his wicked ways, he shall die in his iniquity. But you've delivered your soul. Right? So it's up to them. We need to warn. And if they receive it or not, that's up to them. We do the process correctly, filled with the word of God, filled with the glory of God, hearing, seeing, ingesting, sitting, understanding, loving, caring, and sharing. They're not all going to receive it. But that's not our responsibility. They're not rejecting you. They're rejecting the word of God. Don't take it personally. Go forth and share. But we've delivered our soul if we've done our job. Then in verse 20, again, when a righteous man turns from his righteousness and commits iniquity, and I lay a stumbling block before him, he shall die. Because you did not give him warning, he shall die in his sins, and his righteousness, which he has done, shall not be remembered, but his blood I will require at your hand. 
This is very interesting as well. There's a lot of misunderstandings. There's some people out there who say that it's impossible for a righteous person to become unrighteous. But this is very clear right here. And not only right here, this same kind of statement is written in three different chapters just in the book of Ezekiel, almost word for word. Here in chapter 3, and in chapter 18, and in chapter 33. God wants to get this clearly across. And many other places of the Bible, the same implication is there. Again, when a right, and he says again, <laughs> again, when a righteous man turns from his righteousness and commits iniquity. He's not talking about a wicked person. He's not talking about someone who really didn't give his heart to the Lord. But no, a righteous person. A person who was wicked, who confessed his sins to the Lord, received God's forgiveness because of the sacrifice that's provided for us, received God's righteousness, and is now counted by God as a righteous person. When a, he turns from his righteousness, when a righteous man turns from his righteousness and commits iniquity, and I lay a stumbling block before him, he shall die. Because he did not, because you did not give him a warning, he shall die in his sin. And his righteousness, which he has done, shall not be remembered. So again, he was righteous, filled with the righteousness of God, doing righteousness as well. But then he turns from his righteousness. He'll be condemned for that. And his righteousness will not be remembered anymore. Right, so it's not a balance. The judgment is not a balance. Well, I got a little bit of wickedness and a little bit of righteousness. Which is more? Oh, they got a little bit more righteousness. Okay, I'm in. Get a little bit more wickedness. No, sorry. No. If he turns and commits iniquity, all the righteousness is wiped out. And if we come to the Lord and confess our sins to Him, all the wickedness is wiped out. That's how it works. It's not a balance. It's imbalanced. Love of God towards us. He takes our sin. He bore it away. He gives us his righteousness. He gives us the power to obey. That's one way or the other. And so it's a lie, watchman on the wall. Watch out, the enemy is coming. The enemy has his lies. And he lies to us. Oh, don't worry, once you give your life to the Lord, you can never lose it. You can never become unrighteous. That's not what the word of God says. We can turn. God gives us free choice. Right? He gave Adam and Eve free choice. He created them perfect, placed them in the Garden of Eden, and he gave them free choice. They were able to turn from their righteousness. Lucifer in heaven. The Bible describes him as righteous. Perfect in all of his ways. Until iniquity was found in him. And God gave, allowed him to turn from his perfectness and become sin. So how much more for us? Why would he take that freedom away? Why would he take that gift away, that gift of choice? And so we can turn. And so warn not only the wicked, but he says warn the righteous as well. Warn the righteous of the, the tricks the devil has out there. Be a watchman on the wall for the righteous as well and give warning against the snares of the devil who's going around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Watch out. The enemy doesn't always just come in battering through the, the gate. Watch out for the tunnels underneath the wall. Give the warning to the righteous as well. And certainly when the righteous turns from his righteousness and commits iniquity, we need to give a warning as well. 
because otherwise they will die in their sins and we will be held accountable for not giving a warning. And how much more accountable will we be when we put them to sleep and say, don't worry, you can't lose it. Don't worry, you're all right. It's secure. Nothing you can do. You can go and sin. It doesn't matter. You can commit iniquity. It doesn't matter. It does matter. Didn't take many sins for Adam and Eve to get kicked out of the Garden of Eden. Should not turn. Continue to grow in our walk with the Lord. Continue to grow in Him. Continually receiving of Him, of His glory. Verse 21, Nevertheless, if you warn the righteous man that the righteous should not sin, and he does not sin, he shall surely live because he took warning. Also, you will have delivered your soul. So warn the wicked and warn the righteous and warn the righteous. If you warn the righteous man that the righteous should not sin. Warn the righteous that the righteous should not sin. Is it possible for the righteous not to sin? Is it possible for humanity not to sin? Is it possible for a human not to sin? Warn him that he should not sin, and he does not sin. Is that possible? Why would God tell Ezekiel to warn the righteous not to sin, and that he would not sin if it's impossible not to sin? That'd be pretty horrible. Right? Could you imagine if, if you had a boss and he, and he gave you a deadline and and you had to meet this deadline, you had to finish this product, or you had to get to this location before the deadline, and he knew it was impossible for you to get there in time. And so you deliver it late, and he doesn't pay you. But he gets his product there, or he gets his product done, it just gets later than your deadline. And so he doesn't pay you. How many times, how long would you continue to work there if he continues to do that to you? Giving you an impossibility. And then holding you accountable for that impossibility. That wouldn't be very fair. That wouldn't be very nice, would it? But that's how some people teach the Word of God. God gave us these laws, but you can't keep them anyway. That's why He comes and dies and He forgives us. And then He tells us to try and do our best to keep them, even though He knows you can't keep them. That's crazy. That's like being a hamster on a, on a little spinning wheel. You're just running and not getting anywhere. Is God powerful enough to give us his righteousness that he can give us the ability to resist temptation? Can he give us victory over sin? Can he keep us from sinning? Can he present us before the throne of God Without blemish, without spot? If you had a friend or a relative who was an alcoholic, would you share the word of God with him and say, God can give you victory over that. God can deliver you from that. You don't have to continue to ruin your liver and ruin your body and ruin your mind and ruin your job and ruin your family. You don't have to continue to wreck cars and ruin your, wreck your life. You don't have to continue to get angry and belligerent. God can give you victory over that, right? Well, if God can give an alcoholic 
victory over alcohol, why can't he give a gossip victory over gossip? Why can't he give a, a selfish person victory over selfishness? Why can't he give an angry person victory over anger? Why can't he give the proud victory over pride? If God can give victory, he can give victory. Is God's arm too short to save? Where is God Almighty? Is he high and lifted up? Is he sitting on his throne? Does he have all the glory? Is the wheel within the wheel and all the angels around God's throne? Has God given us his spirit in full measure? Has he poured it out upon us? Is there anything he will withhold to them that walk uprightly? If we cry out in our time of need, will he not come and give whatever is needed to gain the victory? Yes, he's able to transform us and change us and keep us from sinning. Warn the righteous man that the righteous should not sin. In 1 John, he writes this too. I think it's chapter 3. I tell you these things that you sin not. He didn't say, I, I tell you these things, but you're going to sin anyway. Yeah, I know you're weak, and I know you're human, and yeah, I know it's hard on you, and, and, uh, but, you know, it doesn't matter anyway. You're still better than other people. You're not as bad as you used to be. And God is loving, and God is merciful, and God's forgiving anyway, so it doesn't really matter. Just keep trying, and that's all. God just wants you to be trying the rest of your life. That's all that matters. Now, I tell you these things that you sin not. But if, not but when, but if you sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Yeshua the Messiah, whose blood cleanses us and washes our sins away. He's able to give us victory. Again, Yeshua took on. He came and sat with us. He took on humanity. And he came and he dwelt among us. Tempted in all ways like as we are, but without sin. Now, he's, Joseph was a carpenter. His father was a carpenter. So I imagine Yeshua also piddled around there in the carpenter shop. Does that mean that he never skinned his knees? Does that mean he never hit his thumb with a hammer? Does that mean he, he never cut a board too short? Uh, a friend, he says, I've already cut this board three times and it's still too short. Right? Did he ever make a mistake? Did he ever cut something too short? Did he ever drop the hammer on his toe? Did he ever forget somebody's name? Of course he did. He took on humanity. Is it sinful to drop a hammer on your toe? Is it sinful to get a splinter? Is it sinful to forget someone's name? No, sin is rebellion against God. Sin is knowing to do good and not doing it. Sin is knowing what wrong is and doing it anyway. Sin is disobedience against God. Sin is lawlessness, choosing rebelliously to disobey. That's what sin is. So it doesn't mean we'll never make a mistake. 
Doesn't mean we'll always know all the math problems in the world. Doesn't mean we'll never misspell a word. But when we're filled with God's righteousness, there's never a reason for us knowingly, willingly, rebelliously, consciously choosing to disobey God. God can give us victory over sin, the Bible definition of sin, and make us perfect in that way, perfect before him, blameless before him. If you were to describe a perfect orange tree to someone, perfect orange tree, Hey, we live here in Florida, right? What's a perfect orange tree look like? I know they're knocking them all down and putting up houses, but what does a perfect orange tree look like? Right? What about 20 feet tall, maybe 20 feet wide, maybe not that big, 15, 15. Right? Nice green leaves on them. No moss or anything growing on it. Nice big or bright orange oranges on it. Perfect orange tree. Now, if you go down to the nursery and you ask for them to sell you a perfect orange tree, they'll sell you a little stick in a bucket <laughs> with a few leaves on it. You know, that doesn't look so perfect to me. It's a perfect sapling orange tree. It can be perfect in every stage of its development. And by God's grace, God can make us perfect in every stage of our growth with him. It's a continual growing process. That's why we gain victory to victory. He continues to reveal other areas in our lives that he wants to give us victory over, and it's a continual growing process. So other people might look at us and think we're not so perfect, but if we are not in any area of our life rebelliously, choosing intentionally to disobey God, his word, his whole word, then we're not sinning. And thus I tell you these things so that you sin not. But if we have an advocate with the Father, Yeshua the Messiah, it's a part of the message that the watchmen need to give after they have eaten the scroll, heard the word of God, seen him in all of his glory, ingested it, love it with their heart, sat with the people, and talk with them as a watchman, warning against the lies of the devil. We can encourage them and uplift them that God can give them victory over all sin. And to the righteous as well, to warn the righteous man that the righteous should not sin and so that he does not sin. And then he will surely live and live for eternity and we will have delivered our own soul as well. That's the full gospel. Not a half gospel of just being forgiven, but a gospel that forgives and transforms and changes us and prepares us for heaven to walk with God hand in hand and bringing other people with us. And that's what God has called each one of us to do, how he's called us to live and what he's called us to do as watchmen for him on the walls 
protecting the people. And so in a moment, as we prepare for prayer, covered a lot of stuff here, so if any area applies to you, maybe there's some area in your life, maybe you've been reading the Word of God, but it's just been intellectual, you haven't ingested it, it's not lo- you don't love it in your heart, you don't really have a love for the Lord, you're just going through the motion. Maybe at one time you did, but right now it's just become rote, you just do it, just going through the motions, just doing it kind of drudgerily, kind of not with love, not with passion, condemning others, looking down at others. You want to ask God to give you that first love experience again or maybe for the first time. Lord, let me experience you like Ezekiel experienced you. Let me see you in your glory. Let me hear your voice. Lift me up. Bring me before your throne of grace. Let me see the rainbow around you. Let me see you. Let me hear you. Let me feel you. Let me experience you. If you need that love experience with the Lord again, in a moment when we pray, ask God to renew your walk with him, or if you've never had it, ask him to give it to you. Secondly, if there's some sin on your record, maybe it wasn't there before, maybe you were righteous, but maybe you've sinned again, or maybe it's been something there, or maybe it's something that God's revealing to you that you didn't know before, and now he's expects, exposing you to it, and he's revealing it to you. In a moment when we pray, you can confess it to God and receive his forgiveness, receive his cleansing, receive his deliverance through the sacrifice of the Messiah, and receive his victory over that sin, complete victory, that he removes the passion for it, removes the desire for it, and removes the action as well. That he totally changes us. Changes our taste buds, changes our thoughts, changes our desires, changes our inclinations, changes our nature. That we might be partakers of the divine nature, escaping the corruption that is in the world through lust. Escape it through the power of God and partake of the divine nature. Thirdly, if you don't have a burden for the lost, if you don't have a burden for the people around you, you don't even know your neighbors, you don't even know their name, people at work, you hear about some calamity in some other place, you could care less, let it snow up there, tough on them, glad I live here, earthquake there, calamity here, murders here, death there, they deserve it. When they get a better country, when they get a better president, when they get a better nation, when they get their act together. We're just condemning, looking down upon others, not caring about them. We're just walking, just walking on by. Let them make those laws in that state. What do I care here? We don't have a heart for people. We don't have God's heart. We don't have a love for the lost. And we don't have God's heart. And God will say, I don't know you. If you haven't sat with the people, in a moment when we pray, confess that before the Lord and ask God to give you his heart. Pray for opportunities to minister to those in your neighborhood, those in your neighbors next door, 
open up a door, Lord, where I can go and help them out, or maybe I can ask them to help me out. Right? Yeshua did that with the woman at the well. Can you give me some water? I look for opportunities to get to know the people around you, at work, in your neighborhood, in our town, in the surrounding area, in your family. To listen to them, to hear them, to sit with them and become astonished with them. That's what you're needing now in your life, in your walk, in your growth. In a moment when we pray, ask God to do that in your life. If you want to ask God to make you a watchman, to give you his words, to go before you, soften the hearts of those you're going to minister to, for him to guide and direct you and to use you to fill you with his righteousness, to give you victory over all sin, and to live righteously, righteously in him. In a moment when we pray, ask God to fill you and do that with you. And fifthly, if you've had some wrong theology on maybe some area, maybe some of the lies of the devil, regarding whether or not we can have victory over sin, or whether or not we can turn from our righteousness and turn back to wickedness or some other area that God's been speaking to your heart and mind about. In a moment when we pray, ask God to give you his thoughts, his theology, his word, and his process in our walk with him. So if any of those areas apply to you or maybe some other area that God's speaking to your heart and mind about, let us pray together and let God do his work. Our Lord and our God, ruler of the universe, we praise your name and we thank you for your word. We're thankful, Lord, for your calling upon us. Thank you, Lord, for coming to us and seeking us out and first loving us. And thank you, Lord, finding us here today. Thank you for drawing us here today. Thank you for drawing us up to your throne. Open our eyes, open our ears, open our hearts, open our mouths and fill us with your glory. Thank you, Yeshua, for dying for our sins. Cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Cleanse us from false theology. Cleanse us from sin. Cleanse us from evil desires. Cleanse us from our carnal heart. Cleanse us from our enmity against you. Thank Cleanse us from our pride and our selfishness and our legalism and our condemnation of others. Cleanse us of our fears. Wash them and remove them. Fill us with your glory. Anoint us with your righteousness. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. And live in us and through us. For your honor, for your glory, for our salvation and the salvation of souls. In Yeshua's holy name, amen.